Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. From now to the end of April, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to journey with the disciples up to the cross on Good Friday, and from there, the Easter narratives of Luke, some of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. We hope you can join us maybe here online on this podcast, or even better in person. We'd, we'd love to meet you. So we hope you'd consider joining with us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can also find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord Jesus, we love you. We think of this story of the disciples long ago. The one who spent so much time with you, betrayed you with a kiss. Another who would walk in the way that leads to death, yielding the sword against the enemies. Who had been once taught to rest our peacemakers. Lord God, instruct us now from your holy word. Um, Amy mentioned that this is the last Sunday in what is known as the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is the revealing of God, specifically the revealing of God to the world, the nation. Um, it, it begins on a day that commemorates the uh, wise men coming from far off to the east to worship the Christ child. Foreigners coming and paying homage to the true king rather than King Herod. And how Jesus revealed himself to the nations. We are descendants of that truth. You are descendants of that truth, the good news of God for the world. Um, let me say this. Uh, Cyprian, you are our honored guest with us. I'm glad you're here. Um, others of you who are with us, we are glad you're here. We are celebrating this fact that God exists and he spreads his good news to all kinds of people. I want to have a reflection on the disciples a little bit this morning, but I want to share with you some statistics that I read this week, Okay. The growth of atheism last week, or not last week, pardon me, last year, that would be bad if it was last week, was only at 0.18% globally, 0.18%. The uh, growth of religious adherence last year grew 1.27%, which is actually about seven times the uh, rate of the growth of atheism. Maybe some of you even recently heard uh, some of the famous stories of converts to Christianity, uh, Ion Hirsi Aliz, you probably heard of her. She was the famous Muslim who, about 20 years ago, uh, became a famous atheist and was a great sort of defender of atheism and just this last year gave her life to following Christ. Um, some of you know, of course, of, uh, famous, famous atheists like Francis Collins who gave his life to following Jesus, who was the director of the National Institute of Health and the Human Genome Project, um, famous converts to Christianity. Let me tell you some other statistics. Where is Christianity growing the fastest? Africa. Africa, overwhelmingly, Christianity is growing the fastest in Africa. Its growth rate last year, according to the study I read, was 2.77%. In Asia, it was 1.5%. Listen to this. In 2000, in the year 2000, 814 million Christians lived in Europe and North America, while 660 million Christians called Africa and Asia their home. 
Okay, that's just the year 2000, 24 years ago. This year, 838 millions, million Christians live in the global north, the whole global north, while about 1.1 billion Christians live in Africa and Asia alone. Uh, listen to this, okay. In 1900, twice as many Christians lived in Europe than the rest of the world combined. 124 years ago, twice as many Christians lived just in Europe than the rest of the world combined. Today, more Christians live in Africa than in any other continent. By 2050, Africa will be home, it is estimated, to 1.3 billion Christians. Latin America, 686 million. Asia, 560. In Europe, maybe 497. In North America, where we live, 276. Uh, this is an inter interesting thought. Um, as Christianity grows to the global south, it's becoming less concentrated. Listen to this. In 1900, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. In 2022, that number has fallen to 53.7%. And by 2050, more Christians around the world will live in non-majority Christian countries. Uh, David Cassidy, who is a pastor friend of mine, who pastors down in Florida now, uh, he wrote this, and he was bringing together a bunch of different statistics. So maybe you even heard some of this stuff. He was kind of bringing a bunch of stuff together. The average Christian in the world is not male, but female, not white, but brown or black. Third world, not first world, far more Pentecostal than Presbyterian. This is a Presbyterian minister who wrote this. The average Christian in the world today is a 22-year-old sub-Saharan African female. She has not been to your favorite conference. She has not read C.S. Lewis. She has not heard of Christianity today. She's not read your blog, nor mine. She does not go to Starbucks or care about alternative endings to Game of Thrones or the latest Hillsong lyrics. She does not necessarily agree with our confessional standards. She's also very likely the vessel that God will use to teach the next generation. She's not afraid to suffer either. Over 215 million believers are persecuted with intimidation, prison, or even death for their faith in Jesus across the world. 42% of the world's population is under 25 years old, half in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. The median age of the global population is 28. If your mission is to preserve the expansion of white Christian USA nationalism, you need to wake up and repent. South American and Central American churches are thriving and reviving. Thank God. We have to be about global mission and embrace all people everywhere with the love of God. That starts with our neighbors next door, but it won't stop there. White American nationalist Christians need to be on the feet at the feet of these global Christian communities and learn, again, the power of prayer, the presence of God's power in the absence of political power, and the joy of the gospel. Don't we have a lot to learn? Amen? Amen, Amen we do. Now, why do I share this? Partly because I want you to have a snapshot of just how diverse a disciple of Jesus is today. Just how broad and wide Christian faith is today. Frankly, I also share this with you because I want to invite us into a life of humility. 
something people of the West and Americans and, frankly, Reformed Christians do not excel at. I also want to encourage you. Our Lord is doing just fine. He's doing just fine. But I want you to appreciate the broad breadth of Christian faith. How many people and how many diverse kinds of people follow Jesus? Think with me about the disciples, okay? So you had some disciples like James, the son of Alphaeus. Um, He's only mentioned once in each of the Gospels. And basically nothing else is said of him other than he's James, the son of Alphaeus. So maybe he was a fairly quiet sort. Uh, Maybe he kept himself a bit. He was probably an Enneagram 5 if you're into that kind of typing. Um, He processes things quietly, right? Um, Some think he may have been the brother of Jesus. We we really don't know. He He was the son of Alphaeus. And we also know one of the other disciples who was the son of Alphaeus. Um, that was Matthew, the tax collector. So, okay, we have this quieter person who's barely mentioned. Then we have Matthew, a tax collector who's a son of Alphaeus. And what we know about Matthew is he was in cahoots with the Romans. Which means that if you were a faithful Jew, you would not have talked to Matthew. You would have not wanted to engage with him. You certainly would not have wanted to sit at a table with him. Because he would have been an extortioner. Somebody who took more than he needed of taxes, you know, to make his pockets just a little bit wider. If we mention Matthew, we've got to also mention uh, Simon the Zealot. Because there's two guys that would never be together. Uh, Zealots uh, were fanatical Jewish patriots. He would never engage with a Matthew tax collector in cahoots with Rome kind of person. Um, Simon was probably all about defending his rights to openly carry a sword. Um, He probably had a tattoo on his arm that that read, God, swords, and country. He probably would have been at the January 6th uh, gathering, if you will. There's Philip, who is an evangelist. We actually don't know a lot about Philip, but we do know that as soon as Jesus called Philip to follow him, he told his friend Nathaniel to do the same. He was an evangelist. He invited others. He was bold. Invited others. Follow Jesus. Of course, we have Thomas, who's known for his doubts, but also for his faith. We have the brothers, James and John. You remember their nickname? Sons of Thunder. They were probably fiery people, um, hot temperaments, maybe not always terribly pleasant to be around. If you have a nickname, Sons of Thunder, you know. But we also know that John is the one who is said to be the disciple whom Jesus loved. He probably had a tender side to him, maybe a little bipolar. Um, There's Thaddeus who's mentioned, uh, with Simon the Zealot. So actually, some people think maybe Thaddeus and Simon were kind of buddies. Maybe there were two zealots among the disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples of Jesus. But today, our story kind of, uh, you know, obviously it focuses on this arrest and betrayal of Jesus there, but it also highlights the actions of two disciples, and it's two of the ones who are most well-known. So I want us to kind of focus, look at these two disciples and their stories. 
Because I think this actually instructs us both about the grace of Jesus, but also about the breadth and width of the kindness of God and bringing all kinds of different people to himself, okay? First, let's consider Peter. Um, Peter, beyond having the best name ever, um, is well known because he was the great leader of the infant church in the book of Acts. Um, but also because the, some of the wildest stories of the disciples have to do with Peter. Think about this, right? Um, Peter is the one who makes the great confession of faith about Jesus. Uh, John chapter 6, he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, that is a confession of faith. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter 22, the chapter that we have been in these last few weeks and will continue to be in, um, Peter says this to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's loyalty. And there's a great commitment in that. Um, but listen to a couple other statements by Peter, okay? Matthew 16, we read, we read this. This is verse 21 and following. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Here's the, you know, the Lord who he says, where else should we go but you? And when Jesus talks, starts talking about death, he's like, hold on, Jesus, bruh. You can't be saying stuff like that. This is what he says. Far be it for you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And then says this, this is verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is Peter. Luke chapter 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was, afraid, uh, was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him and as the men were, were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. <laughs> I love this. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And um, Luke actually tells us this, not knowing what he said. <laughs> Literally, Peter's like, whoa, oh, it's good we're here. Okay, let's uh, build some tents. This is a good idea. Doesn't know what he's talking about. These are human disciples. And it's important that you appreciate their humanity. Now, some are quiet. Um, some have devoted their lives to the acquisition of money, possessions, even against their own people, like Matthew. Some have wild political ideas. Some are fiery. Uh, some are brash. These are real humans that are called to follow Jesus with real stories, real lives, 
Real faith and real doubt, real actions. The disciples like you and like me. And here in this passage, uh, we learn that they also wanted to defend their Lord, right? Um, this passage that we heard Amy read for us. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Guess who that one was? Peter. Peter. Yeah. John tells us that. Luke doesn't tell us that. But in the Gospel of John, we read that it was Peter that did that. Uh, when we were talking in our, our staff meeting this, this week about, about this passage, and uh, Jess said, how did that happen? And I it's such a fair question. Like, how did you only get an ear? Well, like, you know, like, how is it that you chop at somebody's ear and it, like, how does it not get his shoulder or something like that? Well, this was like, this was really happening. And if you have a sword coming at you, you're probably not going to stand like this, right? Like, you're going to be like, oh! And legitimately, he probably dodged and Peter will... Probably because he was going for his head. Brash, Peter. Uh, he's just hacking away, right? Let's build tents! Hey, I've got a sword! He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but what, what, what thing, we can say a few things. He is displaying bravery and loyalty. Um, but in his well-intended bravery, there's a brashness, and in his courage, there's a violence. And in his loyalty, there is even a kind of denial, right? A denial of the way of Jesus. Jesus had taught him very clearly, blessed are the peacemakers, and he wants to brandish the sword. And Jesus puts an end to this. He says, no more of this. No more of this. Let's turn to the other disciple that is highlighted here in this passage, uh, who is Judas, of course. Um, and if we turn and we consider Judas, what we see is this the great betrayal of God. I mean, I want, I want you to sit with me in this a little bit, because uh, in my mind, I just think Judas betrayal, Judas betrayal, you know. Um, but you have to remember this, that J Judas at least had been with Jesus for three years. He'd been with Jesus day in, day out, with, you know, for three years. He'd seen him teach in small settings and in huge, large settings. He'd seen people travel for miles and miles just to be with Jesus. I mean, Judas was one of the close inner circle. Um, Judas, think about this. I, Judas gathered together along with the other disciples, because that's who it said had gathered to get together. Uh, that's who is said to have done this. They gathered together in 12 baskets, the extra bread and, and fish after Jesus had fed that huge crowd. Judas was one of those who saw how Jesus multiplied this for the blessing of others, right? Um, Judas was one of the ones who was sent out by Jesus to declare the good news, right? Who came back and said, look what we did in your name. Jesus, that's who Judas is. He's an inner circle kind of disciple. So um, when you think of Judas, what I don't want you to automatically think is what is depicted in most art about Judas. And uh, you can Google this, you can look it up. Most Christian art depicts Judas as very sort of gaunt and his eyes are just like this. 
and he's he's got like ratty hair and you know, mangy beard and stuff. And like, oh. No, I don't think any of the disciples were like, oh, uh, obviously it's Judas who's going to betray him. Right? Like this was one of Jesus' close, close friends. And so he comes to Jesus and at least motions to him with this greatest sign of affection. And it probably would not have been the first time he kissed his Lord. It probably would have been a normal greeting for him. But this time it was entirely different. The sign of affection had now become the greatest sign of hypocrisy and denial. Now, uh, we, don't, we don't learn a lot about Judas, not as much about Peter in the Gospels, but we do, we do learn some things. One of the things we learn is that he was uh, the treasurer for the disciples. Uh, he was in charge of their money bag. What we also learn is that he helped himself to the money in the money bag. He was a thief. We also know that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We don't really know how much 30 pieces of silver would be worth, in part because there were so many different kinds of pieces of silver and silver coins that were used. So, so um, some people think it could be actually as little as $100 in today's money, or as, or as much as maybe a few thousand dollars. That's kind of the highest range. Nobody thinks it was a lot of money. Nobody considers these 30 pieces of silver and says, man, Judas really made out on that one. Good deal, Judas. And pretty much everybody agrees that at least why the gospel authors are highlighting this number is because it is in fulfillment of this image that we have in the book of Zechariah that was read for us in our Old Testament reading. Where man of God is sold for essentially the cost of a slave. However it is, it's an insultingly low amount of money. So what do you make of this? At the very least, uh, what we can make of it uh, is that Judas betrays Jesus when following Jesus wasn't good enough for him. He couldn't get more out of it. He didn't see it as terribly convenient for him or helping him in terms of his status or his money or whatever he could take from it, right? It wasn't maybe fulfilling his emotional needs anymore. The health and the wealth that he he thought maybe promised to him wasn't coming about. He's like, well, I'll take something while I can still take it and be done. He discarded Jesus when he learned he couldn't take any more from him. Which, of course, that in some ways demands that we ask ourselves a question, right? Why are you following Jesus? What, what, are, what are you about? Are we only following him to get the feelings we desire uh, for the relational connections that churches afford, networking, um, what he can give us, what we can take from him? When it came down to it, though, for Judas, this is, of course, the story as it continues on after this, um, money and what he could get uh, became his God. And anything other than Jesus will not give you life. It will take it from you. And his money actually burnt a hole in him 
And he threw it back into the temple just as Zechariah said he would. And he hung himself and he died. Um, so what I've tried to do with you in this sermon is I've tried to give you in some ways a picture of the, the wide dynamic of disciples of Jesus. I mean, even just the 12 disciples, as I read those through, probably some of them were familiar to you, and maybe some of them, you, maybe you didn't even remember the name Thaddeus. Not somebody we talk about very much. Or James, the son of Alphaeus. He gets pretty much no airtime. Um, but there's just this wide breadth of disciples, even as they follow Jesus. And of course, the wide, wide breadth of people that follow Jesus today, right? It's just amazing how much the gospel has gone out to the world, how God has revealed to the Gentiles, to the world, the gospel of Jesus. That's partly what I've thought to do. And specifically, I've, I've tried to help you consider Peter, in a way, even denying the reality of Jesus here, and Judas very explicitly denying the reality of Christ and his act of betrayal. But what I really want you to do in, in, in looking at this is not actually just look at the disciples, but look at how absolutely amazing our Lord is. I mean, even as you heard some of the statistics about global Christianity, doesn't it make you go, wow, what kind of God can have adherents, worshipers all over the world like that? It's an amazing thing, and it's actually something that should at least, if you don't follow Jesus, it should at least invite you to consider what kind of God does that. Um, but as you look at the disciples here, and even Peter and Judas, we see other aspects of our Lord. Think about um, how easy it is when you think of Peter and when you think of Judas, just to stereotype individuals. And how easy it is to stereotype Christians, uh, what they look like, how they speak, how they vote. Um, it's easy to stereotype a betrayer, right? It's easy for us to decide what kind of person God works with, what kind of place he works in, what kind of people he works through. And the truth, of course, is that God works in all kinds of different places and all kinds of different people in lots of unexpected ways. You know, we sort of look at this passage, and even my, the title of my sermon was Judas and the Betrayal of God. And we think that the thing that's going on here is the emphasis on Judas, but that's actually not the emphasis in this passage at all. The emphasis of this passage is all about Jesus. Um, Jesus is in control all throughout this passage. And let me, let me show you how this is true, okay? Because he's in control at each step. So Jesus come, or Judas comes with the crowd with their swords and with their clubs, and it's Jesus the one that speaks first, right? He, it's as though he's like, hey, I know you guys are coming. You're going to take me away. But let me actually speak into what's happening here. Judas, are you really going to betray the son of man? Which is a, 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 a phrase from the book of Daniel that refers to God. Um, are you going to really, really betray God with a kiss? He's the one that's dictating even the conversation that's taking place and the actions that are going on. Uh, when his disciples brandish their swords. It's Jesus the one that stops them, that demands that they put them away and say, no more of this. And it's Jesus 
who shows how in control he is by actually performing his very last miracle on that servant by healing his ear. Uh, It's Jesus at the end of the story who speaks to the chief priests and the officers, and he calls them out on on their cowardice. I was with you in the temple all this time. You didn't think to come get me then? I mean, even in that act, he's, he's showing, I'm in control of what's happening here. Jesus is ultimately the one who willingly gives up his life, who willingly drinks, if you think of last week's passage, from the cup of the Father's wrath. And because he does this, he brings life to the most, most unexpected places and to the most unexpected people. Because it's Christ who's in control and not us. If we were the ones that were in control, we'd be like, uh, you can get in, you, and probably you, but I'm not sure. John chapter 10 tells us this, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus is laying down his life. Even in the midst of betrayal where you think, oh, this is all happening because of Judas. Jesus is willingly giving up himself. John goes on in that chapter to say, no one takes it from me. Rather, Jesus goes on in John's chapter. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is in charge, and he gives of himself freely to all kinds of different people. Okay, think about this with me for just a moment longer. You know, I always like it when, we, when our candles are getting short because they're um, barometers of the length of my sermons. Like, there's a couple that are getting really short, and if I don't finish up, we're going to have a problem by the end of our service. So I'll I'll get this together. The final miracle, the very last miracle that Jesus performed before his death was to heal a man that was hurt by Jesus' own sword-wheeling disciples. Isn't that amazing? He's healing this man that was hurt by his disciples. They're trying to defend Jesus. And some of you really need to hear this. Some of you really need to hear this this morning. And my guess is that some of you who are watching need to hear this this morning. Um, Jesus is still healing people who've been wounded by his disciples. Who really think Jesus needs defending. And other people need attacking. Jesus still heals people that have been wounded by his disciples. And if you're one of those people that has been badly wounded by a disciple of Jesus, I promise you, he can heal you too. He healed Malchus. You know who that is? Malchus? That's the servant. Did you know that he had a name? I completely forgot about that until I was studying for this sermon. John tells us that this servant's name was Malchus. I'll get to why I think that's so important. John also tells us, he mentions, in the Gospel of John, Judas is mentioned six times. And all but one of those, he's mentioned as the betrayer. But he's also, three of those times, he's mentioned as the son of of Simon Iscariot. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 71, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Chapter 13, verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, 
Simon's son. Chapter 13, later on in that chapter. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot. Which may seem like such a silly detail for you to know that that servant was actually, he had a name, Malchus, and it's recorded for us in the Holy Scripture in the Gospel of John. And that John also wants us to know that Judas is Simon, Simon Iscariot's son. Why are we giving these details? Right? Why are we giving the detail of the servant who was cut, uh, had his ear cut off by overzealous Peter? Or why were we given the detail of the father of the disciple who betrayed Jesus? Well, so here's the thing. The best argument, and actually this is argued fairly well in a, in a more, rather recent book called Jesus Among the Eyewitnesses. The best argument is that these specific names are mentioned for us because they would have actually been people that would have been known to the Christian community because they would have been in the Christian community. It's Malchus's ear. Go ask him about it. This is Judas Simon's son. Go talk to Simon. No, not just you know, Simon Peter. It's Simon Iscariot's son. Go talk to that one. Um... These people likely actually gave their life to Jesus. They actually likely knew the gospel of God, the good news of God in Christ Jesus. Likely the very man who had his ear cut off and who was healed by Jesus became part of the community of faith that worshiped Jesus. Likely the man whose son betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, basically nothing, gave his life to Jesus. And what does this mean for us? What it means for us is you too. If you're a zealot, nationalistic zealot, if you're a brash, impulsive Peter, if you look at your children's lives and you think, this is such a wreck, I mean, what have I done? If you were actually one of the ones that went to arrest Jesus, you are welcome too. God has always been working in unexpected places, in unexpected people. The breadth of his church is massively wide. He calls all people to himself. Betrayers, arresters, zealots, the quiet folk and the loud folk, all of you, all of you, his grace is for you. You too can know the redemptive love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, we're grateful that, um, that you don't just save people that are six feet tall Um, you don't just save people that live in Australia. You don't save people that just vote red and vote blue. God, but that your church is wide. Your mercy is great. And that your disciples are varied. And that your love knows no bounds. Lord, we thank you that your grace was for Judas' father. 
and Malchus and Peter. Lord, and I thank you that your grace is for us today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.